Our children and teens are like sponges. Like all people, they're created to learn. And because of where they're at developmentally, they are especially impressionable and vulnerable. And in today's world, one of the most effective molders and shapers of young hearts and minds is the culture. As Christian parents and youth workers, our job is to nurture them in the Christian faith so that they will grow up to be lovers and doers of the truth of Christ. How can we best nurture them in the faith in today's world? We'll be learning about effective nurture and instruction from our friend Dr. Terry Linhart. Stick with us as we talk to Terry about his new book, Teaching the Next Generations, and a whole lot more on this episode of Youth Culture Matters. From the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, this is Youth Culture Matters. If you're a parent, youth worker, educator, counselor, grandparent, or anyone else who cares about kids, we're glad you've joined us for this practical, informative, and hope-filled podcast. This is a place where together we talk and think Christianly about the rapidly changing world of today's children, teens, and young adults. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Youth Culture Matters. I'm Walt Mueller here with Jason Soshinik. Jason, also known as, and famous for, being the winner of the Washington State Fair 2014 Fruitcake Baking Contest. I, just to call you my friend because- How did you find this out, I, Walt? This was not over, public knowledge. It's on the internet. Oh, you can well, find. I do forget about that. Yeah, you can find anything on the internet. Uh, Are you well, aware of that? You do, uh, I guarantee you, yeah, but you can't find out about my fruitcake recipe. Well. That one is very difficult to find. I did not ever post that. Neither did the Washington State Fair Committee. Really? So. I, I only said that for one reason. I, I want to know what everybody thinks about fruitcake. You know, Christmas is coming, yeah. and fruitcake's a big thing. I was in Costco and saw the big, massive, round fruitcake. It's, a, it's actually like a small truck tire. <laughs> and could probably be used as one. You could get it, you know, 16 bucks for a spare. I'm not sure. But do you guys like fruitcake? <laughs> well, Jason, do you like fruitcake? What do you I, think no, of fruitcake? No. Who, who, who really likes fruitcake? I think one out of every 400 people like fruitcake. And I think now fruitcake's more of a throwback than it is a, uh, like, hey, go buy me a fruitcake. And it's interesting that they've gotten bigger because I think that they've gotten bigger because no one else wants them. So... The one person that does, they just get more fruitcake. Okay, now. so that, let, let me ask you this. So if you're that one out of 400, that makes you pretty yeah. special. That does make you pretty special. Do you like fruitcake, Walt? I love it. Well, I do. Like, I love it. So anyone listening I, to this podcast, please send to the CPYU office. Oh, that offices. would be awesome. Fruitcake, yeah, because he yeah. would love that. <laughs> well, see, I I started to eat this stuff when I was younger because you got to remember, my dad was a pastor. And so at Christmas time, the doorbell would constantly be ringing with deliveries from either delivery people or actual people who were dropping off all kinds of different Christmas treats, you know, uh, boxes of chocolates, baked goods, and there were always two or three fruitcakes. So I do like fruitcake. I mean, people, my wife doesn't, Lisa doesn't, that's no surprise, right? I mean, you would be, you would be surprised if she did. But I like it, and I think the thicker and meatier it is with the fruit and the nuts, and the darker the actual cake is, the better it tastes. I love it. Okay, I so just thought there's nothing. And with CPYU, a glass of milk or a, Walt Mueller, 438 yeah, Cloverleaf Road, Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania, 17022. Send them. Come on. Send your fruitcake. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just And you can send me your Christmas cookies. It's a taste of my childhood. That's what it reminds me of. So Yeah, so you know, this is interesting, Christmas. Walt, because this is this is a generational thing. Oh I know you, boy, here uh, we go. Yeah. Because they're they're anyone I would say younger than thirty five probably has never received a fruitcake. Do you celebrate Christmas? <laughs> I do, but I don't celebrate it with fruitcake. Okay, because I was wondering I, I if that's that a generational thing, I don't think that fruitcake is not a thing anymore. The, the, like, there is no one 35 and younger that, that gives a fruitcake unless it's a joke. It's it's just not it's not something that happens even anymore. It, it, like, there are, gift cards are probably what has replaced uh, a, a, a uh, fruitcake. This is disappointing. That, I would, I, that's right off the top of my mind, but if I think about what is handed out most— it's not fruitcake, it's gift cards. Because for five bucks, you could go buy a fruitcake, or you could just give them a Starbucks gift card. All right, when, when, did, you last, when did you last try fruitcake? When did you last eat fruitcake? Oh, I probably was a teenager. See, you need to go back and try it again. Yeah, it's just because a lot of, I mean, decades <laughs> Even if I try have it, passed, it's it could not be like good. I'm going to start giving it as a gift But to you friends. might like it. You might hope that you become number two out of 400. <laughs> that you would like the fruit. Kenton, do you like fruitcake? I have never had a fruitcake. Okay, oh, there my. we go. Now, fruit, yes. Fruitcake in my generation is an insult and not a food. Okay. I am, okay, well, that's that's disappointing too, but number one, I'm not surprised you've never had it. All the more reason asked, to send us fruitcake. <laughs> I know. We've, we've asked Kenton, and this maybe we should leave this for another podcast, but we've asked Kenton some very interesting questions about pop culture. And the answers have been disappointing, interesting, interesting frightening. Telling about his telling. generation. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the knowledge hey, but we is all, each lacking, of our generations but... have our own stuff and uniqueness and disappointments. Yeah. Right. And With our definition Oh, now he's trying but, to redefine pop culture. No, but here, let me, let me ask this, Chris. Chris would know this. Chris, uh, do you agree with the sentiment that I just shared? That anyone 35 and younger probably has neither received nor now, desires remember to who get. you're asking here. This man is not <laughs> no. normal. He is He's so not. out of the box, it's not even funny. So I can't wait to hear this. This, this is going to be interesting. No, you, you are probably correct. They Or if they have given or received it, it has been in some sense, with some sense of irony or, or supposed yes. sense of irony. When did you last exactly. drive fruitcake, Chris? Have you had oh, it? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. not too long ago. A few years Do you ago. like the taste? I've had ones that are better than others. There are some that I, I don't mind, but I mean, yeah. as a whole, I'm not a huge fan. But they're not terrible. There are some they, that are there are some that are decent. Yeah. Well, my look. I'm just going to say this: if it's only one out of four hundred, which I believe Jason is based on poor research, poor science, and is statistically incorrect, Costco would not carry them, right? I mean, that's just Costco the way Costco carries a lot of stuff you don't think you need, and then you get there and you buy it anyways. But you get like it, it's, and then you <laughs> eat it. Why would you? Yeah. It's, I de- I'm just just because it's at everyone. Costco, just because it's at Costco doesn't mean people actually eat it. It means they might buy it. But but I don't know if you've ever shopped at Costco frequently, because when you go there, you end up buying things. You're like, oh, I need this huge bag of pretzels. And then you get home, and it takes you seven months to eat through the pretzels. And really, after the first month, they're no longer good. You're just eating stale pretzels however, for the next five months. However, that's about volume. That's not about quality or taste. That argument there doesn't hold up. You, you, you just admitted you ate them, though. So I'm just going to say this. Here's the challenge. Christmas is here. 
It's coming. Everybody get a fruitcake. Give it a shot. Tell us what you think. And I'd like to know if the 1 in 400 is actually accurate. Let us know. We're about to I'm angry that, emails. That, right. I made that number up. So I know you did. You are, you are correct. You are do correct. you like fruitcake? Send the answers but, to podcast yeah. at cpyu.org. Yeah, yeah. and send but I the guarantee you, I guarantee you the number is drastically declined since your generation. Like the number of individuals that, that like fruitcake or give it as a gift – yeah, and I think when it is, it's just like Chris said, it's out of irony. Yeah, this is sad because this this parallels our loss of truth and our love for truth. It's just, it's just. <laughs> you sad. cannot take fruitcake and, and 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 equate it to the loss of truth. It's another fruitcake sign. Does not equal truth. It's another sign of cultural decline. Let's just and we'll just leave it at that. All right. So send your fruitcakes. You guys got. What do you have a question or a quiz for us today? We've been waiting for a quiz. Do you have you, a quiz? You wanted a quiz. It's Christmas time, so we have some Christmas quiz trivia. Oh boy! Oh, this is going to be about Die Hard, isn't it? Die Hard the movie. <laughs> I, I thought about that actually. <laughs> the debate about whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not. I did think about it. I, if I was going to do one question, that might have been it. All right, but you're on the right line. So we've got uh, basically some movie quotes. They're all <laughs> traditional. Christmas movies. Uh, okay. They may not be the best quotes from from the movies. They may not be the most famous quotes. Some of them are going to be easier than others, but I just has a, have a lip, list of quotes. We'll go back and forth. We'll ask Walt one. We'll ask Jason one. We'll go back and forth and find out what the final score is at the end. How's okay. That, sound? mm. that sounds great. I'm not <laughs> looking forward to this at all. Does anybody want to go first? I'll go first. Give uh, me. All right. If it's you, an easy one. Yeah, we're, we are starting off easy. Yeah. All right, so you just have to, you have to Are there name, any, uh... you have to name the movie. Yeah, okay. Here's the quote. Look, Daddy, teacher says, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Oh, that's uh, oh. It's a Wonderful Life. Ding, ding, ding. We yeah. need our bell. We're, we don't have our special bell. All right, there, there you we go. go. All right, Jason, you're up. Okay. Well, I hate to disagree with you, but not only is there such a person, but here I am to prove it. Hmm. Wow. He looks totally uh, stumped. I thought I thought this was going to be easy. Uh, let's. Uh, but here I am to prove it. So that has to be Santa Claus, and I'm going to. But here I am to prove it. Oh. Uh, let's just go with the Santa Claus. Incorrect. Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, oh that was going to be my second guess. Oh, All righty. Oh well. Walt's already up. That's Hold on. Let me just – I want to write that down, That what Jason just said. Oh, that was going to be my second guess because that's a good follow-up if I get the answer wrong. That is. I mean, that just, that bails, that just bails you out. Okay, go ahead. Okay. All righty. Let's see. Uh, Walt, you are up. Even my dog has gone commercial. Oh, I have no idea. I'll just, I'm not going to waste all the time. Uh, I'll, I'll just guess, um, is that from Fruitcake, the movie? <laughs> a Charlie Brown Christmas. Oh, a Charlie Brown. Snoopy that was my second decorating guess. decorating his doghouse. Darn. That was my second guess. All righty. Uh, Jason, you're up. Christmas yeah. was, on, was on its way. Lovely, glorious, beautiful Christmas upon which the entire kid year revolved. Oh, the Christmas story. Uh, a Christmas story, yes. Oh. 
Do you know I have a Red Rider BB and gun? And now we are tied. Yeah. All righty, Walt. Christmas is just about my favorite time. Ever since I was a little kid, I always felt like it was my own personal holiday. I don't. I have no idea. I'll just say I'll just throw a wild guess out there. Is that uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? No, it is not. Ernest saves Christmas. Oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> Would you have gotten that one, Jason? I, no, I, that wasn't even in anywhere in. But, but but as soon as he said that, it's like, oh yeah, yeah. I remember that. You know, when <laughs> that's why I, I said the, these aren't necessarily all famous quotes. You're not some of, some of these. Ernest you really saves Christmas, man. That is a throwback. <laughs> that was when I oh. that was when I defragmented my brain. That one was flushed. That was gone. Okay, Any real Ernest quick. Here's movie. a pop culture one. You, you, Walt, let's see if you can do this. Where did Ernest come from? He had movies, but he showed up in commercials before he ever did movies. Do you know? Are you talking about product? what commercial? Well, what what product did he sell before he became a movie? Ernest. Yeah, I don't remember. Seven Up. Okay. Huh. I didn't know that. I think it was Seven Up. That's that's. Uh, I'll, we'll I'll look it up it for you and verify it. We'll look it Do up. people still drink Seven yeah. Up? I'll tell you what. If you dip yeah. a piece of fruit cake in Seven Up, it is awesome. <laughs> all right, who's up? Jason, <laughs> you're up. It's Christmas Eve. It's the one night of the year when we all act a little nicer. We smile a little easier. We cheer a little more. For a couple of hours out of the whole year, we are the people that we always hoped we would be. Oh. I, you know, these are tough. I, can I give Jason a hint on this one? Go right. ahead. That probably means he has no I, clue. I, it, I have an idea, but. The character who, has, who says this quote in real life, the person who plays this character, is one of the most famous Cubs fans. Oh, I know what this is. Well, can, I answer? can I answer? Can I answer? Can I answer? Ooh, oh, can he on. steal? No, you can't. Five, oh, you can't steal. four. Okay, uh, so I'm just going to – Bill Murray's not in this, but Christmas Vacation uh, – Walt, for the steal. Is it, is no. it, is it uh, Scrooged? Yes. Yes, all right. Scrooge, Bill Murray, yeah. yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah, Scrooge right. was my first answer. <laughs> all right, I guess – <laughs> Do you notice how I pick up on the things you say and I just like – it's like beating a yeah, dead horse. Yeah, yeah. Just I can't let it go. <laughs> All right, I guess we'll uh, we'll stick with Walt here, seeing that he stole that one. We're go going back to Walt. We're kicking off our old, fun fashion family Christmas by heading out into the country in the old front-wheel drive sleigh to embrace the frosty majesty of the winter landscape and select that most important of I, Christmas symbols. I will, well, I will I'll, steal I'll this. continue I will on. Steal no, this. you're not stealing steal it. This. You're not stealing I'm gonna it. I'm going to steal this. National Lampoon Christmas <laughs> Vacation. Yes. And oh. one of the lines right after that is one of my favorite lines in that movie, which is the one where they're standing there looking at the tree, and Rusty says, Dad, that's not going to fit in our yard. And he goes, it's not going in our yard, Rust. It's going in our living room. <laughs> I mean, if you just stop and listen to some of those lines, they're hilarious. There are plenty of lines from that movie that I could not use. Yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> that is very hilarious. True. <laughs> some of the lines are just, you know, like when, when, they're, when they're looking for the squirrel, and they're all standing there, and he yells, Rust! Yes, I'm right here, Dad. He was right underneath him. I thought that was a great one. I laugh at that every time. Lisa and I both. It's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, just. All right, we're all right. We got a few more. Jason, a whole cheese pizza just for me. 
Uh, family Man. Oh, I have a guess on that. All right. Is well, that no, Jason? You can't steal. You Jason, only get one steal Jason's again. incorrect, so go ahead. Well, what do you Is think? it the Santa Claus? No, it's not. Okay, all right, because I know he's... Home Alone. Oh, Home Alone. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's oh, right. Cheese yeah, just yeah. Me. All right, here we go. Walt, I fell down the chimney and landed on a flaming hot goose. Again, I have no idea. I'll just guess. The Santa Claus. Nope. Okay. <laughs> the character that fell down the chimney is has nothing to do with Santa. Oh, uh, I still, uh, the Grinch who stole Christmas. Oh, that's a good guess. No, it was the Muppet Christmas Carol. That was Rizzo the Rat. Hmm. Rizzo the Rat. Yeah. Didn't he play that's for the close. Cubs? <laughs> what? <laughs> Yeah, I should just keep... That was my second answer. They all tie into the Cubs somehow. (laughs) All righty. All right. We'll we'll do... Let me me tally up the score. Jason, I think you only have one. No, I still... We were, I have two. I have to have two. Maybe no, that's a, Walt's yeah. actually up three to one. Yeah, I think not. you only got wow. one. I think so you, you only never got, actually got a steal. You only got one out of four hundred, Jason. That's true. It's not. It's just a guess. It's not. All right, Jason. Let me see if I can find one. That maybe you'll get. So apparently, I'm, I'm among. Yeah, uh, really I'm trying to company. set you up with an easier one. All right, first we'll make snow angels for two hours. Then we'll go ice skating. Then we'll eat a whole roll of Toll House cookie dough as fast as we can, oh, and then we'll perfect. snuggle. <laughs> I do. I get extra points, and if I tell who they're talking to, we'll just go in with it's the one. It's Elf talking to his dad, biological dad. Yes. Ding 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 ding. They're in the kitchen. Who was played by who? Uh, James Con was the father. Uh, Will Ferrell was Elf. All right. Yeah. Very good. Do you know? Uh, yeah. Do you know that, what? I I am up four to three. Okay. Now. Okay. <laughs> listen. 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 Do you know? I think this is correct. Do you know? Here's a trivia question for you. Do you know what song? From the holidays, I'm gonna I'm gonna stretch it beyond Christmas. From the holidays, James Kahn figures into. Yeah, you got no idea, Adam James Sandler. Con, so what song from the holidays James Kahn figures into? Yeah, he's the actually Hanukkah mentioned song. the Hanukkah song. James Kahn's mentioned in Adam Sandler's Hanukkah song. Yep. Yeah. All right, here we go. Who's getting this one? This is for you, Walt. Okay. If I'm I could... up four to three. What? <laughs> Jason's math. That's West Coast yeah, math. Yeah, one out of 400. If I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Well, that's obviously someone who wasn't too fond of Christmas. I have no idea. Is that another one of the uh, Scrooge movies? Is it... Uh, you're on the right track, yes. That's and I, not, you don't have to be not, specific. There's several versions of yeah, this. Yeah, that one, that's pretty violent, so that can't be from the original. It is not the yeah. original. And it's it's so violent, it can't be from one of my favorite versions of that, Mr. Magoo's <laughs> Christmas Carol. I I don't know which one is it. It's actually the oh, Wait, 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 wait. Oh. Can I steal? Yeah, wait. go ahead. I already gave it away. Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey is the Jim Carrey The Night Before version. Christmas. The Dis- it's not Night Before Christmas. But it is Jim Carrey in Disney's A Christmas Carol. Okay, yeah. Christmas yeah, Carol. So, that's, yes. yeah. Yeah. so I get a No, there. you don't get anything for that because you didn't get it right. I called it. It's Jim Carrey. <laughs> you got, oh, that's not the name of the, the movie. Ass, that's the actor. Walt already said, said the name of the movie. Somehow you got the actor but named the name of the movie wrong. Yeah. Well, that's okay. I, I still get a point. I don't know the what the it score works, is, but it I works have, a lot I'm, easier this, when I'm declaring still. Walt the winner. I'm just going to say now. <laughs> 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 
all the begging for a quiz. I don't want to have another one because I'm just <laughs> destined to lose with this guy's rules. You, it's, I just declared you the winner. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Our I get one more, and this, this is worth a million. Champion. I get one right. more question, and it's worth a million. All right. One here. You, all right. This was going to be the tiebreaker. <laughs> Jason, here's your chance. Ready? Okay. This is going to be I'll the tiebreaker. I'll tell you what. If he gets this, if he gets this right, I'll send him a fruitcake. Awesome. And if he doesn't, <laughs> you might send me a fruitcake even if I lose. And if he doesn't. He has to send you a That's fruitcake. Exactly All right. right. Go ahead. Do you agree to the wager? Jason? Sure. All right, very good. Sure, I'll this, send him a fruitcake. So this cake. was just gonna be who this was just gonna be who was closest, but now you have to get it exact. Here's the question. What year was Home Alone released? Oh. The original Home Alone. Oh. <clears throat> oh. That's good. Stop looking at your phone, computer. Jason. I see him looking down. <laughs> I, no, hear his, I'm not my I hear his fingers tapping. Hey, I'm nowhere tapping. near my phone. I, I, <laughs> oh. uh, okay, so uh, I wasn't in high school. I'm going to say it was 19... You're uh, correct so 19, far. <laughs> uh, 1988. Uh, no, that, let's do... Yeah, let's do... Uh, no, 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 no. No, hold on, this hold on. is Nin- not the 1990. Way. It was 1990. Your final answer. Yes, final answer. I don't know how, but he pulled <laughs> pulled it out with his second with his second yeah! try. Yeah. But you know what he was doing there? We he's not in the room with us. He is I can see him, but I can't see his hands. I Hey, I, hand check. No, and he's, hands, he, did you see how like long this. that took hands, for him to answer that? I talk that? with my hands. You saw yeah. my hands. Yeah. There's All there's, right. My phone is over here, and my screen has pictures of All right. you. Surprise, so- <laughs> surprise. Introduce your kids to fruitcake. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> Welcome to the 400. Yeah. I, so the final score was a million and three uh, to uh, – or a million and four to, to three. Is that right? Or maybe a million and three to, to four. Is that, was that the final score? Look, was, based on so. the conversation we've already had – you just got a fruitcake. So based on what you've said, you lose. That's <laughs> what's going on here. That's true. So you lose. That is and I'm going to send one to you, and I want pictures of you eating it. In fact, we're going to get you to eat it on a podcast. How's that? Mm. That would be good. Hold, a podcast in July. So just hold <laughs> on to it, and then we'll have you just keep it in the garage. Oh, good. Okay, isn't that what you do with, yeah. with most food? Hey, let's talk. Let's get into our. Let's get this. Took too long. Let's get into our. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah. and Merry we didn't. Christmas. We actually never even mentioned what Christmas is about, really. So that's not a reprimand to you guys. I'm just saying. You know, that's kind of like our culture. We don't talk about mm. what what Christmas really is. So Santa Claus. But thinking, <laughs> thinking about. <laughs> It, That's shame on you. Shame Bi- on you. Bible trivia. I, Bible Christmas trivia would have been a little less fun, I think. Well, it's because we would have known who we were talking about. That's exactly <laughs> right. But uh, just to make a segue here, and not to be not yeah. to be funny, but uh, I mean to be yeah. serious, and that is yeah. that you know as we talk about the brokenness in the world, uh, we're grateful for the fact that we don't have to. This isn't the end of the story. We're going to have a two minute two minute uh, drill here and talk about some of the stories from youth culture that are coming out. And the great news is that while these are little subplots in a bigger story, the bigger story ends well, thanks to the gift of Jesus, so the incarnation. So, Jason, what do you have? Yeah. 
Well, uh, man, I, I'm trying to think of a way to transition, but I just want to say Merry Christmas to all. Uh, this is a, <laughs> an exciting opportunity for us to be able to dive into uh, conversation this time of the year. And so, Mer- all right, I got to stop you right. Merry Christmas yeah. to all. I know, yeah. I know. To all, good night. Yeah, I, there you go. I, I apologize. But keep I... Li- keep listening. Boy, my voice just cracked here. <laughs> That's bad. Yeah, I'm so excited. He got really excited. Yeah. No, I uh, I am incredibly grateful that we were able to do this, and it's such a gift. And to be able to have opportunity to be able to declare what the season is about is always a blessing. So, uh, with that two minute drill, so diving into today's stories. <laughs> Today's stories uh, start with uh, the topic of later laptop. Uh, one of the things that we're finding uh, in today's youth culture and in culture in general is that we're moving away from the use of our computers. I remember a time where computers, PCs, <laughs> uh, uh, were the thing uh, that we would do most of our processing work uh, on. But now what we're finding is uh, we're moving most of our work to a phone. And uh, it's changing the way we work, the way we talk, the way we interact. Uh, And it goes back to many of the conversations that Walt and I have had here on this podcast about multitasking. Uh, And what we're finding is that um, people are using their smartphone for work. They're also using it as a way to communicate and to stay in and stay in touch. Uh, fewer people are bringing, and I see this in my own world, uh, bringing uh, laptops to to meetings. And f- instead, they're choosing to record the meeting, uh, but they're also using it to send email and to keep track of uh, schedules. And I, I just think it's an important thing for us to be aware of uh, because we are now tethered to our work more than ever before. We are now tethered to um, those uh, outside of our realm of uh, communication face-to-face uh, more than ever before. So it's just something good for us to be aware of, to, to, to uh, make sure that we're putting some good boundaries around how and when we're using it because this technology can be both a blessing but can also be a curse because it can actually take us away. Uh, because one of the things that we find about the smartphone is this was unimaginable, unimaginable even just a few short years ago. And now, as technology continues to increase, the smartphone is operating and doing just as much and sometimes even faster than what the computer can do because of how accessible it is. So uh, putting together some good boundaries is going to be something that's really useful. And I think that helping our kids draw those boundaries and then us as parents and as youth workers being able to demonstrate it to them is going to be really important. That's good. I, I, you know what made me think, uh, or what this story made me think about when I saw this this research, is I just read a fascinating article in the. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go over time here, in the November issue of the Atlantic by a gal named Bianca Bosker. Uh, the article's titled "The Binge Breaker," and it's about a fellow named Tristan Harris, who has worked for Google but is now pushing back because he realizes the ethical issues related to when apps and social media platforms are developed, how they're designed specifically to tap into our physiological, psychological bents and get us addicted, get us tied to it. So what you're talking about here, Jason, is how much harder it's getting for us to disengage from our devices. So it's not just the apps, but the fact that, you know, we don't walk around with a laptop open sitting on a train or, you know, walking down the street. But with our mobile devices, we do. And that takes us deeper and deeper. So they're actually he's this article is fascinating because they're actually calling for or Harris is calling for the development of something like a Hippocratic oath for software developers. 
So they want to, you know, put a stop yeah. to the, the, the practice of exposing people's psychological vulnerabilities to these things and getting them addicted because it breaks us down and it's breaking down relationships. I'll mention, uh, let me shift here. I'll mention another uh, story that's come out. And I've been tracking with this for a while. You know, I bring it up over and over again because I'm very concerned about this and interested in this as it comes to our uh, to the issue of our children and athletics. Texas is now launching a massive study of head injuries and concussions on kids. It'll be what Texas is saying, the nation's largest effort to track brain injuries among young athletes. It's being uh, run by the University Interscholastic League, which is the governing body for high school sports in Texas. They're partnering with the O'Donnell Brain Institute at the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center, and it's going to create, result in the largest database that tracks this. And the reason is they want to see, you know, how we can do a better job in terms of rules and equipment changes to improve player safety. So it's fascinating. I'm just going to mention this. You know, football is the sport with the most concussions per player. And I'm going to give you the sports in descending order from football in terms of where concussions come from because the the numbers are off the charts. I mean, up to 3.8 million concussions occur in sports and recreational activities each year. So here they are. Football's number one. Ice hockey's number two. Uh, Number three sport for concussions is soccer. Fourth is lacrosse. My boys played that. If you've never watched a game or felt a lacrosse ball, that thing is like a rock. Uh, basketball's number five, softball, baseball, volleyball, cheerleading, and then last in terms of the number of injuries per 100,000 participants is track and field, which I found quite surprising because probably the warning yeah. there is don't stand in the shot put pit. So get out of there, otherwise you're going to get a concussion. <laughs> or in front of the javelin. So, but I, again, I, I, this is just, I, I bring this up all the time. Parents, be aware of this. You are responsible for your children's health and to steward their health. So we'll continue to track with that and keep you aware of what's happening. Yes. And something to also, if you want to uh, hear more about this, HBO Sports uh, just actually did a whole segment on this. And so if you have access to HBO, please go watch it because it actually tackles this in great detail. And it was some really good reporting around concussions and youth. Well, the next thing that that I think is important, and this is something I I engage with uh, often, is the idea of uh, technical virginity. Uh, There is uh, an ongoing study that's looking at how teens feel oral sex doesn't lead to virginity loss. And anyone that's a youth worker and maybe even a parent has heard this before, that oral sex does not include sex. One of the things that I often say when we're working with youth is if it has sex in its name, it's most likely sex, right? So oral sex, vaginal sex, uh, anal sex, all are forms of sexual activity. Why? Because you can transmit sexually transmitted diseases, sexually transmitted infections. Very simply, that's that's where we come to this idea then of virginity loss. But the idea of technical virginity over the last several years, probably the last decade, I would even argue over the last two decades since Bill Clinton was our president, has, has grown in popularity. That That is oral sex not being sex. And so it's something that is practiced. And this isn't just practiced by uh, heterosexuals. This is also something that is that is largely practiced in other communities, LGBT communities, um, and, and the idea of uh, virginity loss uh, being protected so they move to oral sex thinking they're not losing their virginity. 
And what they're finding, um, there was a study that was done by the United States uh, uh, Medical Examining Board out of about 600 students, and they found 60% of them felt that the, the idea of oral sex uh, or, contact, or contact through genital uh, acts um, did not actually include or should be included as a sign of losing one's virginity. And even in faith communities and outside of faith commu communities, there's a lot of conversation around this. And I just think that we... Uh, as Christians, need to be good stewards of our bodies and need to understand this, the dynamics and the language that's going into the idea of sex. And and I, as someone that has spoken on this often, uh, just want to very clearly communicate that oral sex is sex. Uh, and and because it goes back to the, many of the reasons I, I first started this, this this section with. And so just being aware of that, being able to have honest conversations when you are bringing this up in uh, dialogue with your students, with your sons and daughters, is going to be really important. Hmm. Yeah, it's, these are conversations definitely we need to be having. And, and I remember when this first became a, a big issue, probably about 15 years ago with middle school students, and we would talk about it. So... Keep talking. Keep talking. Please. Hey, uh, a story, a sad, sad story that came out of Texas City, Texas, back at the end of November was the suicide of a young teenage girl named Brandy Vela. And she had fatally shot herself following months of being bullied and sexual harassment. Most of it perpetrated through text messages and social media, which is a whole new dimension. Do you talk about, you know, we, we joke a lot about generational things bullying it really is a generational thing in the sense of of how bullying is conducted it's totally changed from when i was a kid and even jason when your generation were kids i mean it's it's basically for this digital generation it is online 24 7 and it goes viral you cannot escape it and so you have sad sad stories like this this raised some issues regarding some research that's being done about bullying and sexual harassment uh, especially uh, be, research is being conducted in Illinois. So just a few stats here, and this should raise your awareness, youth workers and parents, of why we need to talk about these things. Neither, nearly half, well, 43% of middle school students who were surveyed for the study reported that they had been victims of verbal sexual harassment, such as sexual comments, jokes, or gestures during the prior year. Now, while verbal harassment was more common than physical sexual harassment or sexual assault, 21% of students, uh, I guess it went offline, 21% reported having been touched, grabbed, or pinched in a sexual way, and 18% said peers had brushed up against them in a suggestive manner. All this to say, we need to be talking, just as we, as we do with oral sex, about borders and boundaries for how we treat others, what's proper, what's improper, and certainly with sexual values and attitudes being lowered and, and the resulting behaviors changing. What we find to be normal, what we understand to be normal, decent, perhaps even virtuous behavior is horrifying. The, de the definitions are, are changing. And, you know, while the story has not totally worked itself out yet, um, we're in football bowl season, and I know the story that was out over the last few weeks regarding the University of Minnesota and their football team. They, the players have decided to go ahead and play the game, but just Google that story, and you can read a little bit about changing values and behaviors on sexual behavior and even sexual harassment. As uh, I think it was 10 members of the football team were yeah. suspended 
uh, because of a, a gang rape. And the campus rape culture is an example of this as well. So again, all the more reason to be talking about God's good and great design for the wonderful gift of sexuality and the borders and boundaries that he's established that allow us not just to worship and honor him through our sexuality, but treat others with God-honoring dignity and respect. Yeah. Well, and this 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 uh, next trend that, that has come on my radar quite a bit and actually relates to this is just the, the number of studies that are showing an increase in suicide rates among adolescents. Uh, and, and I'm sure this is something that you've, you've seen uh, quite often come up in the news uh, in some of your study, but I'm just finding this increasing number of individuals that are both talking about and then we're seeing in the news uh, the suicide rate. Um, in 2014, which is the most recent year that was reported, 425 children ages 10 to 14 killed themselves in 2014. Uh, and that was in contrast to the year before, or I'm sorry, in that same year of 384 children of the same age group that died in car accidents. It's now one of the leading ways in which individuals are dying. And at the, the heart of those reasons are depression, um, and then also um, what they're finding is among depression uh, at its peak, as it, at its highest it's ever been, and then also uh, seeing in uh, emergency rooms across the country a rise in self-harm and uh, cutting uh, with an increase in that. We're just seeing all these uh, indicators increasing along with suicide. And what they are, are saying are some of the reasons are related to much of uh, what you just spoke about. Some of the harassment, some of the bullying, uh, the 24/7 exposure to uh, some of the many messages that they are they are hearing and that they are seeing. Uh, they are looking. They go to social media looking for validation, and when they don't receive it, it can spiral uh, individuals uh, out of control. Uh, uh, looking for acceptance and looking for um, that need to be known and loved and desired. Uh, not met. So uh, we need to be paying attention to these things. We need to understand what God's uh, words are to us, but also being able to set really healthy boundaries around the use of social media. Mm. And so I, I, I say that uh, in conjunction with what you just spoke, because um, it is something that we have to be aware of. I think um, we as a church uh, have a message, especially as we think about this in, our, in the season, this Advent season that we've been uh, going through, there's so much that is is uh, hope and um, and blessing that we see coming. Uh, messages that I've had many conversations with teenagers about during this season that they want to be able to engage and hear, and it brings uh, something to them that they hadn't necessarily heard all year through. And I think it's a great opportunity for us to be able to dive into some of these conversations and to be uh, to have some exposure to the world that they live in. Hmm. Well, let me give you one last trend. This comes from some research from the American Automobile Association. Uh, that's known as AAA. I'm not sure if that's a generational thing that I know what that means or not. Can't you? Did you know what that meant? No idea. AAA? Okay, all right. We, man, we've got to work on you. Chris is shaking his head in disbelief. And, and Kent, I know your mom's listening. Um, she's going to want to put you on a reading program for the New Year, so we're going to work with her on that. But. Um, yeah, AAA. So AAA, American Automobile Association. By the way, you should be a member of that because if you ever get stuck on the side of the road, they'll come and tow you. That's what I have car insurance for. That's right. that's, and now that's a generational thing too, right? But okay. 
Well, they'll take care of all kinds of things for you, Kenton. Um, and actually, whenever they come, they give you a check for a couple hundred bucks. So I don't know if your insurance company does that or not, but you might want to check that out. They so might not. That actually <laughs> they, is not true. You're getting way way off, but you just I said know. that they Triple A gives you money for showing up to help you. Yeah, I'm trying to motivate him to to get Triple A. That's what. I, <laughs> and, and he I is don't right. Any... Car insurance, car insurance companies now actually cover the cost of this. Anyways, we're getting yes, so thank far you. off yeah. of the distracted yeah, okay. teen drivers. He is he is a he is a he's like a teen driver only he's a, a teen host right well, now. Well, I want to talk he's about a distracted. study they've done. Triple A is down on distracted drivers, <laughs> which is actually a problem I have in other areas of my life. Distraction. I just distracted the whole conversation here, so we'll come you back did. on this. But, but this is right. th- again. This is you know. I often say that driving, just like anything else in life, is an act of worship. So yes. we want to worship God by driving to His glory. We want to teach our kids to do the same. They did a study on distracted driving among newly licensed uh, newly licensed teen drivers, and all I'll do is pass on some of what they discovered because I think this should wake us up as parents and youth workers to talk about, hey, keep your hands on the wheel and your eyes on the road. And by the way, this applies to us as adults as well. Females were twice as likely as males in this study to use electronic devices while they were driving. Females were more likely than males to be observed adjusting controls or reaching for objects in the vehicle. Males were twice as likely as females to turn around while driving. And a lot of that, I think, related to horseplay. Drivers uh, are three times as likely to look away from the roadway when they are using an electronic device, and drivers are two and a half times more likely to look away when engaging in distracting behavior and more likely to look away when there was loud conversation or horseplay in the vehicle. So I know some states have restrictions on who can be in a vehicle, riding in a vehicle with uh, newly licensed teen drivers. That's probably a good idea. But again, for the teenagers who are listening, keep your hands on the wheel, your eyes on the road. For the adults who are listening, do the same. And for the parents and the youth workers who are listening, be sure to talk to your kids about this. So those are just some of the stories. And as always, we remind you that everything we've talked about here, if there is a, a link uh, that we've a story we've mentioned, we'll provide a link to that. If there's a book, as uh, when we go through the rest of the podcast today, we'll provide links to all that. Anything that's mentioned, if you're listening uh, on iTunes or through some other platform where you're accessing the podcast, come back to our homepage, cpyu.org, click on uh, the podcast, Youth Culture Matters, and we have archived all of our podcasts and links to everything that we've mentioned. Now, when we come back, we're going to have a great discussion because... Again, the the undercurrent of every story we've talked about today, Jason, and that we typically do when we talk about youth culture trends, is trying to get back to the gospel, you know, God's order and design for the world. And part of that is teaching our kids about what the gospel is and to grow them in their faith so that they will, in fact, uh, desire and endeavor to bring glory to God in every nook and cranny of life. And one of my friends from our youth ministry world, uh, Dr. Terry Linhart, who I think is an incredible gift to the church, an incredible gift to parents, an incredible gift to youth workers. Terry's been writing rather prolifically lately, and he has recently edited a book that was released by Baker Books called Teaching the Next Generations, 
a comprehensive guide for teaching Christian formation. And what Terry's done in this book is bring together some great thinkers, some great practitioners in our youth ministry world, and offered up a gift, not only to youth workers and youth ministry students, but I think to parents and those who are grandparents, anybody who is endeavoring to teach kids. So when we come back, we're going to have a great conversation with our friend Terry Linhart. Stick with us, and we'll be back for more of Youth Culture Matters. In an effort to help you help the kids you know and love navigate the difficult landscape of the emerging digital frontier to the glory of God, we've launched a digital kids initiative here at CPYU. Thanks to a generous grant from a company called DAS, you can access our digital kids initiative and a growing number of free resources and downloads by visiting the website at digitalkidsinitiative.com. This is one more way that we're helping you lead your kids to live lives where their faith in God is integrated into the growing amount of time they're spending with social media and technology. Well, welcome back, everybody, to this episode of Youth Culture Matters, and I am very excited about talking about a timely topic with someone who is addressing this in some deep, deep and very helpful ways. That's my friend Terry Linhart, who is Professor of Christian Ministries at Bethel College in Indiana. Terry, welcome. Thank you, Walt. It's good to be here. Yeah, and you're, uh, you're, you're, you're in, um, well, tell us where Bethel is, because that's near another small school, Small right? college, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a Golden Dome around the corner for Notre Dame University, but yeah, we live in the South Bend area. Most people uh, know of Bethel University in Minnesota, but uh, Bethel College here is a vibrant Christian college, about 2,000 students, and been here since shortly after World War II and just continuing to grow. It's been a been here 16 years, a great place to serve. Yeah, good. And how many uh, you so professor of Christian Ministries. You have a student mm-hmm. ministries major there, or are there other related? How do you guys well, we define? Do, yes, we have a great youth ministry program. My colleague Robert Brandt and I are here, and uh, so we have two full time PhDs, each of us with at least fifteen years in full time ministry before we came. Uh, we have a really strong youth ministry degree. We s- switched my name to Christian Ministries because you may not know this, Walt, but I was a music major and have a music background. And we started a worship arts major. And so for 10 years, I was leading worship before I came to the college here. So when we started it, we put it in the religion department here. And I've been starting out. We have our own record label and have a new album coming out next year. It's a really exciting uh thing to see a college have an entrepreneurial spirit to start this endeavor. Yeah, now, all right, so, let's stop and talk about that. Go ahead, Jason. You yeah. want to ask a question? Because well, no, I'm very I, curious I was, about I, this. I, don't, I am too, but I, I was actually going to just ask if you did the bivocational thing with uh, so many youth pastors that they do youth pastoring, and then they also have to worship, uh, lead yeah. worship for the church. Yeah. So is that something that you also had as part of your resume for a period of time? Oh, I was in Youth for Christ. Yes, I was in, when I was in Youth for Christ, I started as a part-time worship leader early 90s it was the worship wars quote unquote and so one sunday i was wearing a suit and tie leading a choir and the next sunday i was playing chord charts with a band so uh we went every other sunday and then when i was associate pastor at hope i just led every third sunday so that was part of my job description yeah okay excellent so how come i didn't know this about you i've never seen you with an instrument in your hands or i mean you're always thinking and writing and teaching and (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm actually quite surprised by this. Yeah, you make it sound as if something... all musicians have to carry a guitar with them everywhere they go. 
No, but if he was a music education major, you would think that he would, you know, at least have a harmonica strapped around his neck or something when he's at youth well, worker convention. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to be interesting. Well, yeah. I was at Taylor University and got called to youth ministry while a music major, and I prayed, okay, Lord, should I switch my major? And very clearly, three very distinct events. I always say sometimes God leads us in threes to kind of GPS us in the middle. And within 48 hours of that decision, uh, clearly to end with a music major. But I remember doing my last, I was speaking on a retreat and had the synthesizers, the keyboards, the sound system, and it was in Michigan. And when I packed up, I just felt like God said, all right, you're done with the the music on the road stuff. So, um, yeah, I am, I, you know, I'm not the guitar player. I'm the piano player and kind of a producer. I bring in people from area churches to really help. But, yeah, it's uh, I love music. I feel very deeply about it. So do you, uh, who's your favorite, you know, if you sit down to listen to, uh, and I'm not talking about, you know, worship music here as we label it, but favorite piano player that you'd like to listen to? Do you have one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was trying to think of which one I could tell you. Uh, Jeff Lorber. Uh, he's a fusion R&B guy. Great. Okay. Now that's... And I, I love, uh, uh, I'm going to get his name wrong, Yakorsky or whatever. The He's the music director for Manhattan Transfer. Okay. Uh, some of the stuff he does is unreal. So so genre-wise, you kind of like the R&B, mm. uh, you into Motown too? Or, oh, yeah. You know, the old yeah. Motown? No, oh, no oh, kidding. Yeah. That's I've got all that stuff loaded into my computer so that when I speak... Mm-hmm. I play that, you know, during breaks, and it's oh, yeah. just horribly confusing to people. It's great. No, I sneak I'm off. Not. I have a couple of uh, missionary Baptist churches here, uh, largely African-American de- congregations. I feel way at home there with a good Hammond B3 up front. Yeah. Oh, man. Wow. You know what? I love that. You know, yeah. I'll tell you what I've got. I just listened to it the other day in my car yesterday driving. Uh, Booker T, Green Onions. Oh, yeah. With the organ there. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. In gospel music, I'm a huge Marvin Sapp fan, so whenever I hear his music, I turn it up a little louder. So, okay, yeah. okay, <laughs> this is fascinating. Let's forget what we were going to talk about, because this is educational That's for great. me. I love this. I love learning things about people that I didn't know. This is yeah, awesome. We've, we've been hanging out for ten years now, at least on different committees for youth yeah. specialties. We're just still learning each other. Yeah, it's we're always just. Well, now always... Walt's going to have his his uh, phone close by so that he can. Turn up some Marvin Sapp or, or uh, some of these other artists so that you guys that way you guys can enjoy some of this this music. That'd yeah, be awesome. yeah, this is good. Well, it, people are multi-layered. I like that, and I have. Yeah, I mean, that's a, I mean, that's a great. Huh. Sorry, that's a great takeaway for anything we do. We're so quick to label each other and just yeah. make us so one-dimensional that there's a lot yeah. of layers to everybody. So, so just in in your imagination, there, what do you think my secret talent is? <laughs> don't say uh, i'm just setting you up there for you're probably more athletic than people realize now we need to dig into that a little bit so see these guys don't know they didn't know me when i was younger they yeah. didn't know me when i was younger and and plus we've never gone out and played basketball or thrown a football now we've thrown we've thrown the baseball but i'll tell you since my bicycle accident a lot of stuff doesn't happen anymore. You know, the throwing that, and all that stuff story, just hurts. That's a story for another podcast, but ever since I've known Walt, I, yeah. he's always end up injuring himself when I call him. So, Hey, Jason, I, here's I, a yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Jason, go ahead. I, I, I had a bike accident three weeks ago out in the Shipshawana area, and I hit the road hard. Yeah. And, oh. uh, and as I'm on the road, I thought, 
about Walt Mueller's act right there. I thought, oh, I couldn't imagine. Mine <laughs> oh, was man. mild, and I was shaken up for 10, 15 minutes, and yours was terrible. Oh, I laid there. I come, You know, they put me in an ambulance. This is a true story. And uh, I can't, I can't, it, my breathing capabilities are diminishing because I had a punctured lung. And this guy, that there, there was a rookie girl driving the ambulance. And I think what she did was she just aimed for every single pothole, everything, you know. And the guy is wrestling to try to get uh, an IV into my arm. And I'm looking at him going, buddy, don't worry about the IV. I can't breathe. You got to help me breathe. And he said, no, I can't do anything until I get the IV in, which I guess is their protocol, you know, EMTs and things. And I explained to him, I had just, two minutes before I wrecked, I just downed uh, like a big jug of uh, Gatorade. And he's he's telling me he can't help me breathe because he's got to get this IV in. And my cell phone rings. It's sitting in the back of the ambulance. I see him slide out of my field of vision, and he grabs my phone and goes, it's a Jason Susanek. <laughs> Jason was calling me while I was in the ambulance, and I just said, forget the phone. I need to breathe. But Jason always has an ability to, to get to me at the most wow. crazy times. So what are you saying, Terry? Don't, say, don't give me your phone number. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's well, it. We, that's it so. I think we needed to talk soccer now a little bit. Oh, so. boy. All yeah, right. Yeah. We're going to change. Yeah, that's Let's right. talk about <laughs> something constructive here. But, hey, right. here's, here's what I want to talk about. Um. Terry has a, a new book that he's edited and contributed to, put together. He just oversaw this whole thing called Teaching the Next Generations, subtitled A Comprehensive Guide for Teaching Christian Formation. It's published by Baker Academic. And I want to hear a little bit of the backstory on the book, and I want to debunk immediately that because it's published by Baker Academic, this should only be used in classrooms. Right. Well, thank. Yeah. Well, you know what? I just interestingly, I uh, we had a uh, a church denominational leader stop by today. Uh, the college, not uh, from. I mean, just traveling around the area, and he said, uh, and we knew each other, and we just met in the coffee shop on campus. He said, "I just bought your book." Not even a youth ministry person, but he just says, "I think in the churches, we as church pastors even need to get it." And he grabbed the book and just thought, "This is." A value not just even for academics, not just even for youth workers, but also for pastors. And uh, so, you know, I pull it together because we certainly had a gap in uh, what we could use in our classrooms at colleges and seminaries. But I really wanted to advance again the cause of teaching because it's getting little attention. And when we look at some of the critique of how we're developing uh, young men and women coming out of our youth ministries and the churches, it is we need to pay attention again to this gap in local churches that exist in our teaching. Yeah, that, and that is, I, you know, I, I can't emphasize that enough, and I have become more and more convinced of that just when you see what we've produced in terms of spiritual formation, what the output has been, and and I think the decline in, I mean, I hate to say it this way, but just depth and quality in terms, we haven't done the, the work from, from the time kids are born to nurture them in the faith. And I think that there's a, uh, since we're recognizing that, there's more and more of a movement now to see that uh, becoming more and more important. Now, I come out of, a, out of a tradition where Christian nurture has always been in the forefront, but I think in, in, more widely in the church we're seeing uh, a real excitement about that. I think what Kara and Brad are doing 
at Fuller Youth Institute, you know, and talking about Christian education is a great thing. And I think this book is fantastic for that. So it's not so much, I, you know, originally when I saw this, I was thinking to myself, okay, Terry's a college professor. He has a lot of professors, <laughs> a lot of academics who have written here. This is going to be a book for college professors on how to teach college students. It's not. It, I mean, it's it really is. Yeah. yeah, talk a little bit about who you're trying to target here and who you guys hope will read this. Well, first off, I mean, so sometimes when you see a publisher label, uh, you know, it's the avenue into the market. And because I am, you know, a professor, I don't feel very academic type person some days, but, you know, that's how someone with my credentials can get published. You have to go through an academic lean. But the target market is anybody who is uh, nurturing and helping another person. And I have, you know, and now that was my goal, Walt, but I have been surprised at how actually it's uh, been happening that people outside of colleges and seminaries have been using it. But primarily, you know, we really did want to serve the classroom first. But the upside is each chapter is very short. You know, this isn't a book with long chapters, with long arguments, with, you know, this historical and philosophical background. It is about teaching. You know, it's a it's a sole focused book on this act of this. And I think we, you know, when we kind of readjusted Sunday school along the way, we kind of devalued teacher training and so forth. And so we have a lot of stuff going on in the church that feels like it's developing people for Christian formation, but really isn't. Yeah. My uh my mentor at Gordon, Con- uh, <clears throat> excuse me. My mentor at Gordon Conwell was Gary Parrott, and Gary, oh, wow. you know, Gary wrote along with uh, Jay Packer, Grounded in the Gospel, and then with Steve Kang, a book that I saw referenced in here, in uh, I think the bibliography or someone listed it. Uh, one of the writers in here in your book listed it as uh, a great resource, you know, to follow up with for further reading. And that is just it's just you know going back to catechesis and all that. It's a it's just awesome. I want to read something here, and uh, Jason, I don't know if you had a chance to read this or not, but this is in the introduction that Terry wrote there, and I think this is what's at, at the root of everything here in this book, but this paragraph is great. And I, boy, if youth workers would latch onto this and catch a vision for this, it would be awesome. We, he writes, we need to revitalize the task of teaching the next generations, but not with default, the way we've always done it approaches, or with an anything goes, pragmatic recklessness that misses the mark in helping students grow in maturity. The next generation needs teachers, engaging teachers, wise teachers, joyful teachers, and well-studied teachers. Young people need to be engaged deeply in relevant ways beyond elementary teachings. They need a thoughtful, thought-full faith rooted in Scripture, empowered by the Spirit, connected to everyday realities to face contemporary challenges, historical tensions, and the difficult questions. And I've always said, you know, what I think about here is, I've always said to my own kids, fill your wells with the truths of God's Word because you will be able to, on numerous occasions across the course of your life, draw from it. You're going to need to draw deeply from the well. And I think this is, to me, this is what you're, you're calling for. Where have we failed in youth ministry? What, what have we done wrong? Where have we been misoriented in our directions? I think that, um, you know, there's a variety of answers, perhaps. My, uh, my quick little statement I make now is we've programmed ourselves out of discipleship. We have become focused on the presentation 
rather than the outcomes of that. So we can do a great talk, have good music. At the end of the day, we say, how did it go? And we look at the transitions. Was the sound good? We say, hey, I thought it went pretty well. And all the while, those who are listening and receiving it are are not necessarily changed. So the trans, the it's not being, I think, not being student centered in our philosophy of discipleship. Yeah. That the folk, you know, and you think of even going back to Coleman's master plan of evangelism, you know, being close, being with, associating, those kind of things, that proximity is so important in teaching, especially one that relates to discipleship. So would that be what you would consider as the default? That that uh, as as we've looked at the default, um, would that be a way that you would describe some of the default? Um, based upon that excerpt from the book? Yeah, this comes actually back from Tyler and uh, Tylerian education back in the early part, right after the Industrial Revolution, and we keep doing this. And if you, it's interesting, you know, Walt, you said I brought together, I mean, the list of people writing for this book. I was so pleased because I wrote the dream list down and all of them said yes. And so they knew what they were doing. And it's interesting how many of the authors, Jason, shared this, where they said, uh, Good uh, Christian teaching isn't transmission, but it's about life change. And so it's not transmissive. It's a holistic transformation. It's, again, focusing on the quote-unquote student, whether it's an adult, young person, child, teenager. And I think that is, um, you know, what we're trying to address to move away from default transmission to something that's more interactive, engaging, matches everyday life. Mm. Would this you might be, oh, go ahead, Jason. Well, this might be getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, and I know that we're going to need to take a break soon, but I'm, I'm wondering um, practically how that, that looks, the, uh, the, the new way with regards it's not transmissive. Maybe some – what are some practical elements to that as, as we start thinking about that? Yeah, maybe we could address it after the break if you want, uh, certainly, because okay. we can unpack it maybe in the second part here. That'd be okay. good. That's that, good, yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. Let's well, let's let's do that. Let's take a break. I love it when the guest helps us take the break because he, he's <laughs> well, figuring out. He knows that we're going I, going. To, I just know what's coming, yeah, and I, know, I don't want to go too I know. long. You that's know? awesome. And so, if you're saying we need a break, this might be sorry. I, I no, no, I love that. I <laughs> no, think it's good. great, Terry. It's fun, and if we can ever find anything in anybody else to pick on, we will find it. So you're welcome to do that with us as well, because by all means, these guys don't <laughs> well, hold back already, with me. I think the athletic comment I made earlier. No, that was, done, so. no that's all right. That's all right. We, uh, <laughs> I'm working on something for you here. I, I think I'm going to see you at National Youth Workers Convention, so I'll have something in, I'll have something in place for you when I see you face-to-face. Yeah. Hey, well, this is good. We're talking to Terry Linhart. Terry's a professor of Christian ministries at Bethel College and the editor uh, the guy who put together a great new book that we're recommending for all youth workers, and I'm going to go a step further and say for parents as well, uh, if you want to know what it's what uh, teaching is all about and transmitting faith and forming young people in the image of Christ, his book, Teaching the Next Generations, A Comprehensive Guide for Teaching Christian Formation, is a great book published by Baker Academic, and we're going to continue our discussion in just a couple of minutes when we come back. Stick with us. Are you interested in bringing CPYU to your church, school, or community? A big part of our ministry is the on-site seminars we conduct in dozens of settings every year. CPYU seminars are designed to encourage and educate your audience on a variety of youth culture issues. 
Every seminar is designed to be informative, practical, and hope-filled. If you want to learn more about our CPYU seminars, available speakers, and the many seminar topics and options in our growing seminar lineup, go to our CPYU homepage at cpyu.org. Click on the seminar option on the menu bar at the top of the page and you can learn more about how to schedule a CPYU speaker and seminar for your parents, youth workers, and educators. Hey, welcome back everybody to Youth Culture Matters. We're having a great conversation with Terry Linhart. Terry is a professor of Christian ministries at Bethel College, and we're talking about his book, Teaching the Next Generations, which we're very excited about. But before we continue on with the discussion of that, Terry, we like to put our guests on the spot. Oh. So we do a little thing called Take Five, and uh, the person who's taking it is you. And you're taking five <laughs> questions. I have no clue what they are. This is uh, just so people can get to know you better. And right. uh, Jason right. will fire these at you. First thing that comes to mind, just go ahead and and wow. give an answer. And we'll. And by the way, we'll. If there's anything that's harassable, we'll harass you on it. So that's just okay. part. Yeah, that's just part of it too. I said, but we know you can play along with it. So Jason, go uh, ahead. Uh, okay. So. So again, not for embarrassment, but just for us oh, to, to be able to get to know you a little bit more. <laughs> Uh, but uh, let's start with this one. What was your favorite toy growing up? Matchbox cars, for sure. I loved matchbox cars. Yeah, because I could work. Yeah, so it's a whole system. I mean, I didn't have one favorite one, but I lived for matchbox cars. Yeah, we had tracks, and we could organize them, and I'm an organizer, and so, yeah, it was great. Okay. Did you I'm have any on one that. particular set or, or play set that you liked the most? to put your matchbox cars on like any one track or yeah of course well in the yeah well and and uh walt may remember this but there used to be a thing called a sizzler so you could plug in and it would go round and they were self-propelled and they would just race and it it was fantastic you do yeah they still have that yeah oh they do yeah yeah, yeah so those... I just don't I guess I don't play with toys enough anymore but you know that was the that was the one the sizzlers <laughs> I remember it very distinctly the sizzler man the only thing I think of when the sizzler comes up is a restaurant yeah. that would have yeah. a steak but that's for another media, time. okay yeah peppercorn yeah I got it yeah yeah okay if you could wake <laughs> in the body of somebody else who would you pick and what would you do Wow. If I could wake in the body. Well, given our off microphone conversations, I would probably wake into now some baseball player. So it would be um, actually, no, I would probably, oh, well, maybe. Go ahead, Sam. I always want to be a baseball announcer. So I'd wake in the body of Joe Buck, but not oh. because I want to look like him, but just because oh, I can Joe Buck? Him, so. He's a card. Well, Terry's a Cardinals it's, fan. I knew he was going <laughs> I just always wanted to be a baseball announcer, but um, yeah, probably Albert Pujols or somebody like that, just so I could hit and run and play in his prime. You okay. know? Huh. So, yeah. I thought all you'd right, say Dave right. Ron. Well, he would probably, that might, that would be my second choice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, when you third, said announcer, I was thinking Vince Scully. Yeah, but, that's uh, true. Well, know, my, favorite was, I, I, my favorite announcers aren't with us anymore, you know, so. Um, but the okay. old AM radio days when you just, you, you didn't have all this television, you know, yeah. you just yeah. lived through some of the, and Vince Scully's the last one of that. Well, Marty Brenneman too with the Reds, but they could tell yeah. the story of the game and uh, it was wonderful, wonderful. 
Oh, okay. Harry Carey. Right. Yeah, Harry Brickhouse. <laughs> oh, Jack. Man, you're 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 speaking my language right now. Well, you know okay. most oh, that's, uh, most most powerful. kids now they know who Harry Carey is because of one person, Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. Yeah, it, and right. I think that is the most hilarious. I just I can watch those and just laugh. I think it's hilarious. You don't even have to know who Harry okay. Carey is. He's funny. I gotta. Come I'm back sorry. To I interrupted. Though, real yeah. Quick. Right. So no. Well, well, Terry, you said Joe Buck. Are you a fan of Joe Buck? Because he also has many individuals that are not fans. No, I'm not. But I mean, just to play his role that he's a the announcer for the Cardinals. You know, I could have picked. Okay. Uh, you know, Willie. Uh, you know, I know all the Cardinal announcers, but he's the only one that you know probably. So, uh, okay. yeah, I'd love to be. I mean, to be the Cardinal baseball announcer for a long time would be a wonderful thing. I spoke at a awesome. church once. Okay. You would know this. I can't remember, but I spoke at a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and there was a guy there who it was an announcer or is an announcer with the Cardinals. Is it was there a guy? His last name was Carpenter, who was an announcer, an announcer for the Cardinals. If you said his name. I'm getting that wrong. Matt, no, it was Matt Carpenter. Wasn't he the baseball player or not? Could, no. But did he become an announcer? No. Okay, right. Uh, there's not a Carpenter. There's a Willie. There's a Ricky Horton that might be at a church in Tulsa, but okay. I think he's from L.A. Yeah. All right. Sorry. I. Uh, we are okay. way okay. off track yeah. here. So, we no. are. Sorry. Sorry. We're doing <laughs> this good. This, we like this. We like this. What okay. are we up to? Oh, number three. Third, third question. We'll deal. get through okay. this. I promise. Okay. Would you rather live a week in the past, and you could choose any week in the past that you would like, or a week in the future, and why? Oh, uh, probably a week in the future. I'm just curious about where all this is going. Yeah. Uh, I think curiosity rules. I mean, how far can are we are, are we really going to make it to Mars? What will artificial intelligence really be like? I mean, I just think those are uh, not only ethical questions but fascinating mm. technological ones too. Mm. How far into the future? To answer some of those questions um i don't know i i think 50 years from now what's the mars yeah. trajectory we're gonna get there in 50 years so probably 50 years from now maybe okay to see. cool that's great okay if you could play or i'm sorry if you could only eat three foods the rest of your life what would they be shrimp uh corn and some other meat probably oh probably i love steak you know so those three. Wow. <clears throat> All right. Shrimp, corn, and steak. Yeah. I got to ask. Glad he didn't say kale. The next time I, Walt I sees you, he will bring you a plate that, of shrimp, corn, standard, and steak. Is that one of your standard questions? The meat, the food. Is thing? that one of the standards? Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. no, they're always like, different. We always ask different questions. They're always questions. different. No, no, they're different. So in psychoanalyzed now. Yeah. I mean, are no. you now? <laughs> I just wonder what your no. opinion. You're we're, lucky because smart enough to do that. One of our one of our podcasts, I asked the guest, uh, I asked the guest if you could have your head, but on the body of any animal, what would it be? So just be glad, just be glad Jason's asking yeah. the questions. <laughs> okay, here's the last one. <clears throat> when you need to get pumped up, like I mean, it's like man, it's go time. You're getting excited for something. What's the one song that you play to get yourself pumped up? Uh, fooling yourself by sticks. Oh, fooling yourself by sticks. Can you sing get a little up, bit for us? Get back on your feet. You're the one they can't beat, and you know. That'd be your walk-up song, huh? It's That's a good right. one. Yeah. Uh, back, you know, I played basketball in high school, so "Ride Like the Wind" by Christopher Cross and "Rubber Band Man" by the Spinners were the other two that I used. <laughs> but fooling wow. yourself, 
Fool yeah, yourself. We've done all I have never heard those two songs mentioned Cross. in the same <laughs> sentence. Never in the history of the universe have Christopher Cross and his leaders Yeah, that's great. I, by the way, I just introduced my staff to Christopher Cross because so yeah. many of them are so young they, they they don't know who Christopher Cross is and I was like you got to be kidding me we we've got to do some educating so I love that you it's, brought him into the podcast did they well, some, all... of the songs, some of the songs have some Christian overtones to them you know I mean Most they're definitely. pretty profound huh oh, I love it okay well thank you so much Jerry for participating in our take five that will uh, conclude this podcast take five but if we have you as a guest I'm sure we'll get some other ones uh, <laughs> it, it will be good. <laughs> well, with that, let's uh, let's try to make a transition back to some conversation that we were having before the break. And uh, we were moving from um, uh, talking about some of the defaults to then talking about some of the practical uh, new ways uh, that, that we um, had opened up conversation, but we paused in order to, to bring them here. So I, I would love to hear from you with regards to what are some of the, the practical uh, ways that we can uh, teach this next generation? Yeah, so I think there are uh, a handful. And the first one is that I think you need to have a clear teaching aim. This seems like a duh level statement, like um, we know that. But I'm surprised in my travels of watching different ministries or talks or sermons at the end of it. Uh, and I just heard one within the last 10 days that at the end of it, I just think, well, I don't know what the point was, you know. Um, and so being very clear on that. So clarity is the one. And then when you, cause when you write that out and you usually write that out, like as a result of this talk or lesson or example, uh, my people or students or whoever that is will do what it's always, what will the students do, learn, think, feel, be inspired, that kind of thing. I, I think that is it. And then I'll do a second one and we can chat maybe. And then the second one comes out of, uh, I love this one. Uh, when you think about, teaching aims and motivation, which motivation, Dave Ron wrote the chapter, we were talking about him earlier, uh, on motivation in a book, it's worth the purchase of the book alone. Um, and he asked the question, we should always ask, why should this person dive into this learning with me right now? You know, what's the motivation that they have that they want to learn? I mean, I could tell my kids, hey, it's time to go, but if they're not motivated in some way, I mean, it's part of parenting, it's part of all sorts of things, we have to figure out in what way are these people motivated? I think those two at the beginning get us to a really healthy first step. It, it's really interesting to me that you say teaching aim is the first one. And you, you mentioned this, but I, I, I do want to hit upon that because it would seem that that would be one of the most important things that a teacher would focus on is what, what is my aim? Like what is the end result? And and so what you're saying is it, it actually is one of the things that is missed. Is that something that you found to be uh, – obviously it's been something that you find to be quite true. So I guess the question is um, what then can an individual do to make sure that they're they're doing the good work of uh, creating something that is uh, – has a bullseye? Yeah, we have a lot of just, hey, I'm going to pick up this curriculum and use it moments. Now, a lot of good mm -hmm. curriculum has an objective statement in it. But then if we modify it or we think about things, it's really healthy step for us to just write out, as a result of this, students will blank, you know. Uh, and when I feel like I'm going into a class, even here at the school, or I'm doing something and I feel really unsettled, I just go back and say, what's my aim? And often I'm unsettled because I don't know what I'm going to shoot at. 
And it's been a real helpful tip for me, even after 30 years of doing this stuff, to just say, okay, here's my target, uh, what I'm going for. And I know it's hard for people because I make my students learn to write aims, and I don't have a lot of points behind the assignment, but it's just such a struggle for them to think this way rather than picking up material and presenting it. Do you think one of the issues with this, with the aim, with the aim issue, is related to the passion of the teacher as well? So, for example, and we've talked about this here uh, amongst ourselves at CPYU, and it's frustrating to me to see that more and more youth workers are buying, you mentioned curriculum, prepackaged. This was used somewhere else. It's not necessarily very deep, but I take it and I use it rote. And basically what I'm doing is, is reading or implementing someone else's script that they're making some bucks on, and I'm not really teaching from my passion. Now, I part of this, Terry, comes from me because... If I have to read someone else's script from up front, that to me is unsettling. I like how you use the word unsettled because it's not coming from me and coming from my passion. I'm not sure if you know what I'm asking there, but maybe I need to. No, <laughs> it's, you... well, and so this goes, let me just go on to my third point because you just set me up like we had pre-planned this. But I think we forget that we actually are part of a community when we teach and we embody the teaching. And again, going back to Master Plan of Evangelism, which has so much more in it than about evangelism, is, you know, Jesus said, hey, to the disciples, come and be with me. Well, we don't do a lot of withness anymore in ministry because of the program, the separation. We're fascinated with CEOs and ministry structures. There's a lot of separation, especially in the states here in certain cultures. And to have, a, again, an invitation for people to say, hey, come and be with me. And then the teaching takes on a new passion that I there's a care in there rather than what you said. I think what happens is that we do think of it as a program, a presentation. So then we can just pick up whatever I present it and, you know, we hope you get it. And uh, we're not close enough to inspect what's going on, if there's fruit or not, they're the budding on the trees of the people we're teaching. Yeah. Well, as a follow up to that, what would be some good best practices and habits, regular habits for youth workers to develop to cultivate themselves as teachers, to teach themselves to be teachers, to equip themselves to be good teachers? Well, besides, of course, haha, buying my book, uh, the idea that uh, learning how to uh, work on your methods, I think we don't talk methods anymore. It's not a seminar at any conference. But becoming really good at discussion and question asking, uh, creating space and listening well, slowing down and uh, being patient. I think one of the things that is uh, best practice is that I, again, become person-centered in this business. That's why this book isn't, you know, it's teaching in the title, but so many times we think of teaching as formal, and it's actually very relational, and especially if it looks like Jesus did. So learning how to create space. And then I think another best practice besides listening and learning how to ask good questions in that process is to evaluate. And um, I'm tickled with Carrie Losher's chapter in the back of the book. I think it's one that youth workers would be tempted to uh, bypass. But if we don't know how we're doing, then we don't know how we're doing. Hey, you can write that down. That's really good, right? But seriously, uh, if you don't know how we're doing, we may be doing poorly, and we just don't stop. If I were doing the Youth for Christ model again, where we do a discussion and then a wrap-up, I would now add, knowing what I know about how people learn, I would that wouldn't be the end. 
I would spend another 10 minutes in feedback time and small groups to make sure everybody's talking and interacting with the material. Mm. Uh, mm. I just find too often, well, I just did a research project for InterVarsity across the country a couple years ago, and we evaluated their uh, manuscript Bible study method. And we went from USC to Delaware, everywhere in between, and just did an evaluation. And one of the cr- criticisms, sorry, it's not, it's too strong. One of the areas that we identified and they also did was that application was being underserved. And so I think if we did a third thing, we would say, always make sure you're strong in application. Mm. And it goes back to the motivation piece. Yeah, this mm. is good. I, I, I want to follow up on this just, just to continue the conversation, really, because um, you said the third third aspect is community, embody what we teach. And and I, I guess maybe you're answering this question because I think that sometimes – as I hear that, I could think, well, I have to embody what I teach. But really, when I he- correct me if I'm wrong, what I hear you're saying is that, yes, it starts with you. But then um, when you think of community, it's your entire community, not just yourself, mm. that embodies what is taught. Is that a fair assessment? Uh, yeah, maybe... well, it's it's both because I remember when Dave, Ron, and I did the research for on evangelism for Evangelism Remix book, the first finding we had was that every youth group had the personality of their leader. You know, I mean, we just it is interwoven in that. So the leader sets the pace to he or she and how they they conduct themselves. But yes, I I think uh, back on my years at, at Hope Missionary Church before I came here, and I'm most proud of the collective character of our community but certainly that is a strong piece yeah but i I would say it's both you know you think of uh adolescents and how they learn we primarily as teenagers learn through modeling we watch so it's spontaneous moments where we watch them how they react to a flat tire it's also structured where someone says hey come watch me and then i'll watch you that kind of thing i mean all that is is part of it and um it requires us to i think pay attention to the community's role in our modeling role in how we're teaching and leading others. I love that we, we kind of uh, went there, but I, I just want to say that I, I see each of these three points, not just playing out in the life of a youth worker, but even as a parent, as a parent of, of young children. I love how these are things that my wife and I have actually talked about, that we want to <laughs> we want to aim well in what we teach. Um, we want to be motivated and, and really the, the embodiment of what are we – the community, like how are we as a family going forward? And, and I mean the personality of the leader, it's, it's – it's, uh, uh, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's contagious. That's the, the word maybe that I, w- I would use. And I love the way that you're, you're playing that out because I, I think about this not just as a youth worker. As I hear you talk, I, I think about this as a parent as well. And it just seems like these are things that, that would – um, play out uh, well in the home, just as they would in the church. Mm-hmm. Did- yeah, Kelly and I often with our kids. Sorry, well, Kelly and I often would say, uh, just to make sure we're communicating clearly on our, uh, if you will, instructional agenda for each of our kids through the year. Certainly, <laughs> yeah. Do you, well, and that raises a question because I was thinking about this when you asked that, Jason, and that is, is there a way? Have you envisioned a way, Terry, for youth workers to take this book and actually? serve as a bridge to get it in the hands of parents, youth workers and parents studying some of the principles in here together. I know it's, I know it's fresh. It's new and it's, it's out freshly. So you haven't had a chance to hear those stories yet, but I envision it doing that. 
And I, yeah. I just wonder if you've thought about that at all. No, I, I haven't. Uh, that's fascinating. I, uh, we are developing a one-day uh, seminar uh, for churches that uh, was more for, I think, volunteers uh, and staff at churches to the various people could you know come in and help a church grow. Uh, that's certainly uh, uh, going to happen next year. Uh, but I had never thought of the parenting thing, so maybe that's a CPYU thing that they could carry on there. So. <laughs> well, we, we, we're certainly— You need more to do, I think. Try. No, I—yeah, really. Uh, but I, I just think that, that would it would work well that way. Let yeah. me ask you another question about the book. You know, when I go through—and rather than reading and highlighting— chapters and authors and the subjects that they cover what are what are some of them and i'm not asking you for which are the most important or which you think are the best but just highlight some aspects of this that you think youth workers would find to be really really valuable well i think that um what i like about the book is it's really helpful for a veteran youth worker to get a refresher course on how these things work uh, Barrett McRae's chapter on from Wheaton, how people develop their thinking, is a is like a primer on educational psychology uh, that you could just read through and and, and maybe twice, and then you'd uh, you'd get it, you understand. I mentioned Dave Ron's book on motivation. We do have a couple of chapters on this intergenerational, uh, family oriented uh, learning from Brenda Snalem, Ken Castor. I thought that was. Uh, really good. And then we have a section on methods and we lead off with Duffy Robbins talking about teaching the Bible. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. And uh, what a, what a great chapter. And then just discussions and Karen McKinney's book. We just had her on our podcast uh, last week about experiential education. One of the most creative teachers I know in our field uh, at Bethel university in Minnesota, just using experiential education and uh, teaching through experience. And we often don't do it because it's harder work, but it's not that difficult. And I, I still remember my youth workers, uh, even uh, yeah, coming to the school using role plays. And, and I still remember them to this day because they were so, they got at that motivation factor because they immediately connected to my life because they were simulating something that I was quite familiar with. And Bill, uh, the youth worker, knew what he was doing. He had a couple of the cheerleaders and all the role plays all the time from the high school. So as a freshman, <laughs> I was always paying extra special attention. Yeah, is there, is there a chapter on that? How to no. grab attention? How to... Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. But no, those are some of them. And then there's just a lot of really good ones, you know. And uh, I'm just, again, tickled with the, the quality of the writing that everybody did. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I mean, the lineup is great. And when I saw that, I thought, this is, this is just awesome. So I, I really appreciate this. What are some, uh, just, to, just to wrap up a little bit, what, what would be some other, besides this book, Teaching the Next Generations, and by the way, we put links uh, to everything uh, on the page for the podcast. So anybody who's listening who is not accessing this podcast through our webpage, cpyu.org, maybe you're getting it through iTunes or some other provider, uh, come back to our webpage and everything Terry's talked about, the book, uh, other names that have come up, we'll have links to all these things, and you can click through on that. But I'm, I'm wondering, just out of curiosity, what's been helpful to you that you would recommend in terms of resources, books, for youth workers to understand a little more of the process of spiritual formation and teaching the next generations? My favorite is... Um shaping the spiritual lives of students by Richard Dunn. Uh, I love the idea of pacing there that he draws in the book that when we walk with little children, we can't outstep them. We have to walk at their pace. And I think that 
people who are uh, mentoring and growing the next generation uh, need to understand that we need more patience, that we just can't overexpect and expect too quick. Uh, we're very quick to want people to give us a second chance and be patient with us and less inclined to do so with others. And I think that uh, we certainly see that on the road. We want people to understand why we're maybe going slow. You know, uh, that's one. Um, another spiritual formation. But I love anything by Eugene Peterson. That yeah. may be an odd thing to say, but this is a pastoral business that we're in. And I just he, he and. Henry Nowen, those books, In the Name of Jesus, is the other one I would recommend. And I read that right, every Nowen. year. Oh, yeah, by Nowen. Thank you. Yeah, no, that's uh, a book that I just think uh, is one uh, worth reading on a regular basis. And then uh, the other one, last one, is uh, Bob Mulholland's book, Invitation to a Spiritual Journey, The Intersection of Personality and Our Lives. Um, those That may not be exactly the kind of books you're looking for, but that's the ones that I just say, hey, start there. No, I, I think that's important. Do you think that this task, you know, going back to uh, what you said about Dunn's book and pacing ourselves, do you think because of the power and the influence of culture, the pervasiveness of culture, so much more information, the speed of change, that our pacing has needed to slow down a little bit? I do. And, um, you know, when he talks about pacing, it's uh, that we focus on the pace of the ones we're leading and match their pace. And so sometimes when you have them interacting with culture, and he mentions in the book things like pseudo attachments, like they're getting their identity from somewhere else. And, you know, so not only do you match their pace, but you sometimes have to wait, you know, they're looking away and distracted at something. You got to wait till their focus comes around sometimes. And you think of the life of a, if we're talking youth ministry in particular, you know, that's why making sure we have a, this is my bias coming through here, but I think a robust camping retreat pro, dynamic to a yearly ministry is so important to pull away for periods of time, even if it's just an overnight um, and not programming like crazy, but just space giving, Yeah, you know, where students can slow down and you start on a Friday and it's maybe by Saturday afternoon, they mentally arrive and, you know, you're able to help them through that. And then I think, you know, Westerhoff said you could do a lot of spiritual formation just having retreats rather than weekly programming. Yeah. I'm, I'm messing his quote up there, but I'm, I Linhardized it, I think, a little bit. So. Nothing wrong with that. This is great. <laughs> I, I really appreciate this conversation, and we're going to continue uh, to push the book. We're going to want to get you back on here to, to hear a little bit later on about, uh, you know, how it's gaining traction, how people are using it, because I— we love to read here, and we love to recommend books, and I think that's one of the best ways to learn. And we want to encourage and push and prod youth workers to constantly be learning. This is what, you know, the, the life that comes out of us is, is directly related to, to what we pour in and allow others to pour in. So, Terry, I'm, I really appreciate you, well, thank you doing the pouring in with this book. This is great, <laughs> and inviting all those people to, to do that for youth workers. Jason? Well. Anything you want to say as we as we head out here and finish? I'll let you take it out. <laughs> well, I just I, I appreciate what we've discussed today because I think it's something that's just uh, needed. And I just although the points are, are simple, they're profound, and I think that uh, the the practical aspect of this book is needed. And uh, I know that I 
um, have become a fan, and I will I will definitely be uh, selling this to, to many of my friends that are in youth ministry because I think that this is a, a, a needed book, and I'm, I'm thankful for the words that we've discussed today. So, Terry, thank you so much for being here. Walt, as always, good to be with you. And uh, for those of you listening, we're, we're thankful that uh, you have joined us, uh, and we look forward to being with you again here on the next episode of Youth Culture Matters. Thanks for joining us for Youth Culture Matters, a podcast from the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. If you'd like to learn more about today's youth culture, visit our website at cpyu.org. And if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, email us at podcast at cpyu.org.